When I was a child, I wanted desperately to be good. My relentless earnestness in pursuit of this goal, no doubt, bemused my elders and appalled my peers. When I was nine years old, I sang the title role in a local production of Amal and the Night Visitors. The dreamy child I portrayed, his lameness cured by his selfless generosity to the Christ child, struck me as an excellent model for living. I was even more powerfully affected by Manati's later opera, Martin's Lie, in which an orphan boy sacrifices his own life to protect a fugitive he believes is his father. To die for goodness seemed to me a happy ending. To live for goodness, on the other hand, was more difficult, especially in the church of my upbringing. How could I ever approach the unearthly perfection of Jesus? How could I ever escape the implacable judgment of God? As a teenager, I abandoned the pursuit of goodness for the pursuit of pleasure, which by the 1960s had become its own religion. If it feels good, do it, was its mantra. I did it, and it felt good. By my 30s, of course, I'd learned the diminishing returns of pleasure, and I began a spiritual quest for a deeper and more secure happiness. The search for happiness is both innately human and quintessentially American. On that bright and cool Philadelphia morning in 1776, when 56 men pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to a risky enterprise called the United States of America, they declared self-evident and unalienable the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not wealth, not wisdom, not virtue, not salvation, happiness. John Locke had championed life, liberty, and estate, which Adam Smith amended to life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. But our founding fathers were into happiness. You wouldn't find happiness among the Hebrew Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes of Jesus, or the Buddha's Four Noble Truths. In the Quran, happiness is simply submission to God. Only in America would we start a war over happiness. <laughs> in The Secret, the recent DVD and book sensation, feeling good is touted as a feedback mechanism from the universe that tells us we're on course. The Secret's Jack Canfield boils it down to the maximum, if it ain't fun, don't do it. If it ain't fun, don't do it. Has Canfield ever changed a diaper? I mean, a really, really, really messy diaper? Changing a baby's diaper ain't fun, but it's worth doing. And if a parent won't do it, who's going to do it? The au pair? The secret also cites. Joseph Campbell's famous injunction to follow your bliss. But Campbell meant something deeper than mere enjoyment. In Sanskrit, Campbell explained, the jumping off place to the ocean of transcendence 
is expressed in three words, sat, chit, ananda. The word sat means being, chit means consciousness, ananda means bliss or rapture. Campbell recalls, I thought, I don't know whether my consciousness is proper consciousness or not. I don't know whether what I know of my being is my proper being or not, but I do know where my rapture is. So let me hang on to rapture, and that will bring me both my consciousness and my being. For Campbell, bliss is really vocation, devotion, inner wisdom. If we seek bliss in the form of an extramarital fling, a drinking binge, or fleeing our responsibilities to find ourselves, we're in for a rude awakening, but only after we've done a lot of damage to the people who care about us. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jean Stafford, who struggled all her life with depression and alcoholism, remarked on a particularly bad morning, happy people don't need to have fun. Our confusion about happiness can be traced back to Aristotle. Aristotle argued that eudaimonia, eudaimonia is the highest human value and the goal of all our actions. Although the Greek eudaimonia is commonly translated as happiness, its meaning is richer. It's a compound of the Greek words eu, meaning good or well-being, and daimon, or spirit being. A eudaimon was a benevolent guardian spirit. Eudaimonia meant living under the spirit's protection. Eudaimonia has less to do with how we feel than who we are. According to Aristotle, we achieve eudaimonia not by honor, wealth, or power, but by virtues like courage, honesty, and judgment. It's a process, not a state. A more accurate translation than happiness is flourishing. According to psychologist Martin Seligman, eudaimonia is part and parcel of right action. It cannot be derived from bodily pleasure nor is it a state that can be chemically induced or attained by any shortcuts. It can only be had by activity, consonant with noble purpose. Seligman is one of the leaders of positive psychology, which has focused the searchlight of science on the ancient mystery of happiness. Much of this research confirms what philosophy and religion teach and most of us understand intuitively. Happiness can't be bought. Once basic needs are met, additional income has little effect upon life satisfaction. Being smart or well-educated doesn't help either. Strong bonds with family and friends make us happier. The happiest people are in a good marriage. The unhappiest in a bad marriage. Religious involvement boosts happiness but the relative contributions of faith and fellowship are unclear. Seligman identifies three components of happiness, pleasure, engagement, and meaning. Pleasure delights the senses. Engagement involves relationships, work, and hobbies. Meaning demands applying our strengths to a larger purpose. 
According to Seligman's painstaking research, pleasure plays only a minor role in lasting happiness. The big payoff comes from engagement and meaning. These distinctions help explain a paradox of happiness studies. People report being happier overall than they do when asked about any given moment. It made news a couple of years back when a study of 900 women in Texas found that their favorite activities were sex, socializing, relaxing, praying, and eating. Caring for their children ranked far lower, <laughs> somewhere between cooking and housekeeping. Yet over a third of respondents to a national survey call their children or grandchildren their single greatest source of happiness. How can children be at once so taxing and so rewarding? Or is it just something about Texas? The answer lies in the study's design. The Texans reported their feelings on a detailed questionnaire about their previous day's activities, while the national survey inquired into overall satisfaction. Observing this contradiction, some researchers disparage the memory of respondents as if they're just fooling themselves into happiness. But if engagement and meaning outweigh pleasure, of course our satisfaction is not simply the sum of the feelings we experience. My child can irritate, perplex, and exhaust me again and again and again. But the boundless love for her in my beating heart sustains, gladdens, and fulfills me. The surest path to happiness, Seligman reports, is not through feeling but through character, the exercise of virtues like courage, wisdom, temperance, justice, spiritual transcendence, and love. Among the traits that lead to these are curiosity, perseverance, integrity, kindness, humility, gratitude, forgiveness, and playfulness. Studies find, for example, that making a regular practice of writing down the things for which we are grateful, literally counting our blessings, measurably improves our satisfaction with life. So the secret was right about the power of gratitude. As a professor, I don't like this, Seligman admits, but the cerebral virtues, curiosity, love of learning, are less strongly tied to happiness than interpersonal virtues, like kindness, gratitude, and capacity for love. The whole point of virtue is that it's not always fun. If it were, we wouldn't bother to call it a virtue. Virtue can demand hardship and sacrifice. Hardship and sacrifice can lead to wisdom and spiritual transcendence. They can tap reservoirs of courage and love we didn't know we had. Tony Campolo, the liberal evangelical preacher, tells the story of a friend at the peak of his career as, as president of a prestigious college. When his wife developed Alzheimer's, he resigned his position in order to care for her, ignoring the objections of his friends and colleagues. His wife's health declined rapidly. Most days, 
She didn't recognize herself in the mirror, let alone her husband, as he tended to her needs. A friend visited and and urged him to return to his career. She doesn't even know who you are, the friend protested. You're right, the husband nodded. But I know who she is. She's the woman I married. And I promised, I promised to have and to hold her until death do us part. I don't know if I could make the same choice. I don't know if this man would say he was happy. But he had something better than happiness. An easy conscience. Contentment. Perhaps even joy. This is the true joy in life, wrote George Bernard Shaw. The being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown onto the scrap heap. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. To live a meaningful life, Seligman argues, we must connect with something larger than we are. And the larger that something is, the more meaning our lives have. For some of us, that something will be service to a person or congregation or community. For others, social justice. For others, earth stewardship. For others, the ineffable mystery some of us call God. The master has no possessions, counsels the Tao Te Ching. The more he does for others, the happier he is. The more she gives to others, the wealthier she is. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus said, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If it ain't fun, maybe it needs to be done anyway. If so, let's do it. Ennobled by devotion, surprised by joy, and transfigured by the light of love. Amen and blessed be.